Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to be your little teapots. Here's our spout, oh God. Turn us over and pour us out. In the name of Jesus, we love you. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Slap somebody high five and say, I'm Jesus' little teapot, short and spout. Just turn me over, put me in front of Planned Parenthood, and pour me out. We are God's little teapots. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here. That will make you laugh in the Holy Ghost. God's little teapot, short and stout. Put me in front of Planned Parenthood and pour me out. Amen. I just like saying that makes me excited. If you haven't joined the Facebook page already, do so because pretty much it's over now after this, but just do that to be cool. If you want to give to the ministries, either to Metro Praise International or to Bevy and Edme, take a screenshot of this and give as the Lord leads you to give. And if you want to follow along with our sermons in my uh, notes today, you can download the app. If you're ready for another Jesus Matters sermon, can I hear you say amen? Amen. We're going to talk today about the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God matters and Jesus matters and the kingdom of God matters because without the kingdom of God, without the promise of a hope beyond the scope of our human limitation, everything we do here just passes away. But the Bible says because Jesus matters, the kingdom of God matters. And let me encourage you, you and I are going to be in the kingdom a lot longer than we were here. And the Bible says if we been preaching and we've been teaching. We have been storing up treasures in the kingdom of God that we will dwell and enjoy in forevermore. Those mansions are there for me. Don't let the old timers scare you people. Some of the things they said was all right. There's a mansion waiting for me and for you. Are you listening to me? And when we come and rule and reign on the earth, Bill Gates is going to have to give his up in Jesus' name. He can take care of the vineyard for a little bit while we reign for a thousand years because the Bible says he'll leave them around some of these people just to be a reminder to us of what he's delivered us from. And after that thousand year reign, we'll forever be in the new Jerusalem. If you believe it, can I hear you say amen? Amen. The kingdom of God matters because Jesus matters. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew. Just to give you a heads up on the schedule, after this we'll be doing our time of Q&A and testimony. And wasn't that awesome yesterday? Can we give it up for Bevy and Edme? They did so awesome. Amen. You got to take a sneak, a little peek into their life and got to see what God was doing and behind the scenes and some of the things we don't get to see. I loved it. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus preached about the kingdom. The number one subject of all of Jesus' lessons was the kingdom of God. Somebody say the kingdom of God. Thank you. Basilelia in the Greek, it means the active rule and reign of God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our God is triune. The kingdom of God is ruled by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you remember some of these popular parables that Jesus would tell, if you go back and look at to the first sentence, most of those sentences started with the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like. And the only reason why they would substitute in their teaching between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is oftentimes they would say heaven instead of God out of respect for not saying God's name in vain. It was just a, a nomenclature as a, of that time and a way of speaking. But if you remember the Lord's prayer, he taught us to pray to our 
Father in heaven. He said, hallowed be thy name. And then what did he say next? Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we are kingdom people. We believe that there is a kingdom coming. Now, the difference between us and Muslims is that we do not believe that our kingdom will come by physical force. Let me tell you something to get you woke. Sharia law is not a thing that comes when when the by and by comes or when they believe in the afterlife. They believe Sharia law comes now by force and military victories. So you have to understand that, that your Muslim friend may be nice, cute, and cuddly and say, I love you as a kufar, as an infidel. But what you don't understand, if they're going to be a Muslim like Muhammad, they need to be praying that they get to kill or destroy you or at least oppress you and get to collect the jizya, the tax that they'll give to you. But the kingdom of God has been abused by the crusaders in other times in, in Christian history because they have tried to adopt that same mentality. And we hear about that now from our woke friends who like to bring up colonialism. As if the white Christian is the only one who's ever tried colonialism. Have you heard of the Chinese dynasties? When are those folks getting reparations? Are you listening to me? Have you ever heard about the different people in India, the villages? How do you think that became one big country we called India? When did those indigenous people get back what they took from them. And all of the people here that love to celebrate Indigenous Day from Central and South America, and you love to, to eat the salsa, and you love the, the, the pictures of the Aztec warriors, listen to me, they weren't your friend. When the Aztecs or the Mayans or the Incas came to your neighborhood, they came to kill and to conquer. As a matter of fact, a part of the story that they like to forget is that when the uh, conquistadors came to do their uh, kingdom of God type false doctrine, it was other indigenous people that joined with them to fight against the Aztecs because they hated them so much. But it gets quiet when you preach like that in most churches because all they want to do is just point to something that happened in America's history and act like we're the only nation that has done something wrong. But as what I can recall from human history, we're the only nation that went to war to kill our own people by the hundreds of thousands to try to make it right. When was the last time they did that in Hotel Rwanda? When was the last time they did that in India? Killed 300,000 of their own people to set free another people. We're not talking about white people killing white people so white people could be free. White people killed white people so that black people could be free. So where are the reparations towards them? You know, we have now this idea you can judge people by their skin, which is stupid. But how do you know these people who are judging people by their skin? Their ancestors didn't fight in the Civil War. So you see, stupid is as stupid does. So any time that we try to imitate the other nations whose gods are nothing but idols, any time we try to bring our kingdom now through military force, it never works. But that does not mean that we do not believe in a governmental power called the kingdom of God or a governmental authority or a governmental structure. We do. But the good news about us is we believe that Jesus brings it when he splits the sky in two and sets his feet on Mount Olives. So we don't have to fight you about it. We don't have to argue about it. We just say when he comes, I'm serving him. Are you listening? And so it's going to be real obvious when he comes. And so now if you hear about a false Christ in the Philippines or a false Puerto Rican Christ or some Jim Jones false Christ, you can just tell right off the bat they're wrong because the Bible says when he comes, he will travel like lightning from the east to the west and every knee will bow. You'll know when the kingdom of God comes because I'll have the keys to Bill Gates' house. That's how you'll know. 
And Jesus will be ruling and reigning in, in Jerusalem. He won't need a social media a guru or a social media uh, you know, presence like these gurus do. Jesus is among us. And then we have to go to a conference. No, you'll know Jesus is here because he put his head on the Antichrist and stomped the nations, 300 million of them, and made the blood flow as high as a horse's head for 140 miles. That's when you'll know Jesus has come back. Can I hear an Amen. So Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, after his baptism, began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near or nigh. The Bible taught us that the kingdom was coming through the Messiah to be initiated by him. And as the Messiah is there, he's saying it's near. And then be, as you begin to follow his ministry, he now begins to say it's here after the resurrection of Jesus. Think about this. You're his disciples. You get to spend 40 days with him. What are you going to do? Are you going to ask him if he's been to the Americas to start the, the, the religion of Mormonism? You know, we give it all to them here. How, how many have I already hit on? Uh, Islam, Hinduism, Chinese, Aztec, and, and I brought in Mormonism. Amen. Make sure you're keeping count. So what are you going to do during those 40 days? Because Mormons are going to say he just traveled around the world and he, he developed the book of Moroni and all of these mysteries. You talk to other people, they'll say he went to Egypt. He talked to the aliens. No, it says right here in Acts 1-3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them. He didn't go anywhere else. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of God. Just imagine that. Jesus is with you for 40 days. And what's he talking about? Is he talking about the book of Revelation and the four-headed monster, you know, or the four, uh, you know, horsemen of the apocalypse and, and all of these things? No. That's going to come later to kind of paint a picture of what it's going to look like as the kingdom of God is, is coming against the forces of the Antichrist and the devil and the last stand and Armageddon and all of that. No, but what Jesus specifically does right here is he gives the apostles the understanding of the kingdom of God. The idea of Armageddon is just a blip. Before you even know it, Armageddon is over, but the kingdom is still here. Are you getting that? The Antichrist, he's just a blip, but the kingdom of God lasts forever. So we, we oftentimes, we hear about the kingdom of God, and we get so just, you know, infatuated with the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, you know, is just that two-hour movie that you get all, you know, hyped and pumped about. It's just Jesus basically saying, this is what that seven-year period is going to look like. But after that seven-year period, we have the thousand-year reign and eternity with Christ, and that's summarized in the kingdom of God. There's a lot to learn, isn't there? And the reason why I want to talk about this today with us is because I know many of you might be leaving after this. Those who are staying, you're more than welcome to join us tomorrow at, at you know, Sunday service, 9 or 11. But what I want to send you out with as an encouragement is to be kingdom-minded. It's to think about everything you do via the kingdom of God. If you're going to work your job, you're doing it for the kingdom of God. Because what does it say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 63? Chapter 6, verse 33, what does it say? Seek ye... The kingdom of God and then all in his righteousness and then all these other things. Put it up there because we got people stuttering and some know it, some don't. Put it up there. We're going to say it in the NIV. Some saying it out of the King James. Jesus talked 40 days about the kingdom. Do you think it's important? It's his most important subject. He taught us to seek it first. He said, this is what you need to seek. Verse 33, we'll do it in NIV. One, two, three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
So what should Bevy and Edme be doing as they're, as they're being promoted and God is using them in mighty ways? Seeking first the kingdom. Not seeking first to get on Fox News, right? Not seeking first more money or attention. Seeking first the kingdom. What does this pastor need to do? Seek to fill more chairs, earn more money, have better book sales? No, I need to seek first the kingdom of God. What do you need to do? Seek first the kingdom of God. Every single person has to seek first the kingdom of God. We cannot seek anything else because that thing in which we seek, if it's not the kingdom, will always disappoint us. And it always comes under the kingdom of darkness. It doesn't mean that God can't fill these seats. I'm believing God for that. I want this just to be a drop in the bucket. I would love to see Bevy and Edme become world-renowned evangelists. And you know, because last time it was Reinhard Bonnke. I would love it to be Edme and Bevy in the name of Jesus. And not just in the foreign mission field, but all throughout America. Wouldn't that be amazing? But we have to see that even our ministry is a drop in the bucket compared to the kingdom. We have to see that even our gifts are a drop in the bucket compared to the kingdom. We have to be kingdom-minded. That's why in this place today, I'm sure if we wanted to find something to debate and argue about theologically, we could. But can we set that aside and agree upon the kingdom of God and seek that kingdom together and his righteousness? Because I believe God will send revival when we do. The Bible teaches us that this is important to Jesus, and it needs to be important to us. Let's go to the next point. When we think about the kingdom of God, we need to see how the apostles preached it. Go to Acts chapter 28, verse 31. Somebody say, I'm in Acts 29. Are you an Acts 29 kind of brother or sister? How many get that? There's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. What you living in right now? This is the Acts of Jordan, praise God. This is the Acts of Jared. This is the Acts of Jesus Matters. We are in Acts 29. It's continuing on, is it not? The last chapter of the last verse of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, he, talking about Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's how the book of Acts ends, and that's where we begin. We take the baton from old Uncle Paul, from the Apostle Paul. We take that baton, and we start talking and preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has requirements, doesn't it? Galatians chapter 5, turn there with me quickly. Can you guys help me in the back? Follow along with the notes, please. Galatians chapter 5 talks about that the kingdom of God has requirements. Go to the notes, good sir. Thank you. In the kingdom of God, there are requirements. Everyone is welcome, but not everyone can stay. I have 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's very similar to Galatians. That's probably why I was on my spirit, 5. But I know why I picked out this one, because it actually names homosexuality, because people don't think the Bible mentions that. Yeah, it does. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, it's in multiple places. And then if somebody wants to argue that Greek word, we'll go Greek on them. Amen? Because it does mean what the translators say. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? So that means you can be outside of the kingdom of God. That means you can miss the kingdom of God. So even us here today, if we fall under this list, we won't inherit the kingdom of God. I believe that salvation is secure in Jesus. And so as long as you are in Christ, you are secure. But I believe you can come outside of Christ and no longer have that security. So today, if you want to know how close to hell you can get and still go to heaven, you're in the wrong church. I want to tell you how close to heaven you can be and still be on this earth. 
Some people say, well, it's not good to be heavenly minded and of no earthly good. I want to be so heavenly minded, I change the earth for good. Are you listening? I'm going to say that again. They say, don't be so heavenly minded and be of no earthly good. I say, be so heavenly minded you change the earth for good. Set your mind on things above. The Bible says, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that we are to understand the requirements to inherit the kingdom of God. Why is the word inherit there? Because the Father gave it to our elder brother Jesus when he became like us, died on the cross. Now we become co-heirs with Christ. Amen? So you can inherit the blessing of the Father through Jesus Christ. Do not be deceived. How many know there's a lot of deception right now? And, and, and when the Bible leads with that, that's because it's going to be deceiving. Why? Why are people deceived? Because deception is deceiving. Deception is deceiving. Most of us don't know that we're deceived when we're deceived. It takes someone coming from the outside and exposing it to our hearts. That's why we have to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will expose those things to us. But I thank God for second and third chances because even if we ignore the Holy Spirit, God's going to send somebody all up in our face to tell us what we have not been listening to by the Holy Spirit. And so when we see many of these pastors and these leaders getting exposed, it's because they weren't listening to the Holy Spirit when they were on their knees. And so if you don't want to be exposed publicly, listen to the Holy Spirit privately. It says, don't be deceived. Neither be uh, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. That's why I went there. Verse 10, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We have to take that serious. And so when we are preaching the gospel and we're bringing people that message that bids them to come to the kingdom of God, we need to let them know that there are conditions in the kingdom of God. Now, we do not place those conditions as prerequisites to accepting the invitation. But if you know the parable, the parable says that you can come in with the invitation as you are, but when you get there, you better come like him, otherwise he'll kick you out. Because when the king would give invitations. You could come in your beggar's clothes, but you would then have to ask the king to be clothed in their clothes out of their closet if you didn't have nice clothes and then put them on. And so the very fact if you're not clothed in righteousness, it's not God's fault that you're ratchet and not righteous. It's because you have decided not to put on the righteousness of Christ. And so God says, come just as you are, but I'm going to change you to just like who I am. And so you can go from being ratchet to righteous if you want to have the kingdom of God, if you decide to put it on. But remember, in the parable about the kingdom of God, he finds somebody and says, you ain't dressed right. Who let this person in? Cast him out where there is weeping and there is mourning and all of those things. And we say, man, that's bad on Jesus. Why is he so mean? No, because it represents the righteousness of Christ. And it's a choice to reject those things. And if you want to serve Christ, you come just as you are and you let him change you and transform you. How many of you are happy to have the righteousness of God over you today? Amen. Please turn into the scripture to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. How many know that famous passage? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. If you want to win the Sunday school treat today, say it. 517. Now I lost my Sunday school treat. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If you know it, say it with me. There is no... Yeah. Yeah, we, we mumbling again. We better get on the same translation. 
Verse 17 highlighted, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Now go to verse 21. Go to verse 21 and let God bless you today with this heavy review. If you haven't saw it yet, it's right at the end. The Bible says here that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You were born ratchet, but you can become righteous. You were born a sinner, but now you can become a saint. You were born outside of the kingdom, now you get born again into the kingdom. You were born evil, now you can be born again holy. The Bible says it comes because of Christ, the impartation or the imputation or the reconciliation or the sanctification or the justification. All of those terms that that you may have heard in the scriptures are talking about what God does in us and transforms us to be like Christ. If we go back to the passage that I had up here, you'll see that that is why people do not inherit the kingdom of God because they have not come, come to Christ. They are not in Christ. They are not a new creation. It's by choice and therefore they will be cast out. Verse 11, he listed off all those sins. That's the bad news. And he says, that is what some of you were. Can I hear an amen from some of you who used to be like that? Come on, let's go through the list and see who you were. How many of you used to be sexually immoral? Can I get an amen? How many of you used to be an idolater? How many used to be an adulterer? If they said amen, move your spouse from them. No, no, they've been changed. If you had sex with other men or women and you have the same gender, say amen, that God has changed you. If you've been a thief, if you've been greedy, if you were a drunkard, if you were a slanderer, if you were a swindler, and God changed you, if you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ by the Spirit of our God. Give Him praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Christ. We teach men to repent, to turn, metanoia, turn from their wicked way of thinking and their behavior and come towards Christ. People say, I can't because I'm too wicked. God says, I'm too righteous to fail. As much as you were a sinner in Adam is as much as you are a saint in Christ. You have to now know you're no longer busted and disgusted, tore up from the floor up, needing to check up from the neck up. You are now a child of God. You are washed and redeemed. You are sanctified. You are a new creation. Let's go to the next point, the kingdom of God. The Bible says the kingdom of God is full of love and power. Can I hear an amen? We'll make it applicable in just a moment. Look at your neighbor and say, it's just the introduction. Amen. It's just the introduction. I got to make sure you know what I'm talking about when I talk about it. Romans chapter 14, 17 through 18, Paul says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Why would they ever have thought that? Because in their mind, when they celebrated their pagan deities, like they do at Mardi Gras, the way that they gave their worship was from their eating and their drinking. You still see that today with the Muslims during Ramadan, in their eating and their drinking, and of course in their fasting. But listen, they eat more during Ramadan than they do any other time of the year. So technically, it's an eating and drinking party more than it is a fast, because they just don't eat in the morning till night, and then they glutton themselves all throughout the evening hours. So the Bible is saying this is not a pagan understanding. This is not a way that we go about it or even a celebratory time that you might have of a political figure. We're going to eat and drink and celebrate now that this new king or this new ruler has come into power. 
Paul says that the kingdom of God is not of eating and drinking, but of what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You can't get that from Bacchus. You can't get it from Zeus. You don't get it from Muhammad. You don't get it from Krishna. You get it from Jesus Christ. How many people here have righteousness, peace, and joy? Joy like a river down deep in my soul. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. The next passage that we see about the kingdom of God being described by Paul is 1 Corinthians 4.20. And he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of what? Power. We were out last night there in Chicago in state, and a man heard us preaching the gospel, fell right to his knees, and accepted Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't see the Hare Krishnas doing that. You don't see the Muslims selling bean pies on the side of the roads doing that. You don't see the Mormons riding their bikes doing that. You see those who have the kingdom of God full of the power doing that by the power of Jesus Christ. We saw a woman get off the bus yesterday as we were on the west side. She got delivered right there, tears flowing down her face as the sisters laid hand on her. How many of you have seen the power of God while you've preached the gospel of God? There are signs that follow the preaching because it comes with power. And so you can look at it like this. There is an internal witness of the kingdom. The internal witness of the kingdom is for you to have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then there is an external witness of the kingdom. That is the power of God over the works of darkness. When our church went through its turmoil and the different things that were happening, I thank God that that Sunday when they were threatening to burn down our building, that Edme and Bevy came with the kingdom of God in them and through them. I remember coming up to them saying, now they're saying they're going to burn it down. The police are saying we should get out of here. What should we do? And the woman of God said, we're going to preach. That's what we're going to do. And that, and that came from her internal witness of the kingdom of God. And it certainly came not just with talk. It came with power. And it encouraged me. And I said, if she's willing to die in this building for Jesus, I'm willing to die right along with her. It was amazing to have them there that day. God has always given his people internal signs and external witnesses. And so I don't want you to ever substitute one for the other. Have both. If you are losing the righteousness, the peace and joy of God, it doesn't matter how many people are falling down when you pray for them or how many souls you're seeing saved. You have to make sure that your internal life is right with God, that you're righteous, that you have peace in your home, that you've got joy, you're not depressed. All these pastors keep taking sabbatals. What's wrong with y'all? How are you doing ministry so wrong you got to take 30 days off from it? T.D. Jakes advertised one time that he was going on a cruise to get away from ministry. T.D. Jakes, keep cruising and give us the ministry because I love doing ministry. Ministry's the joy of my heart. I've been doing ministry over 20 years. I ain't never needed a sabbatical. I've never needed a sabbatical. Why? Because the Bible says he who refreshes others will be refreshed. When we preach the gospel with the power of the Holy Spirit, we get that spirit coming through us and upon us to go out to the people around us. Pastors committing suicide and then everybody in the congregation saying he's in a better place. I'm like, no, he's not. 
You can get quiet if you want, but I'm like, no, he's not. You don't get to commit suicide. Check your way out and think you're going to heaven, my friend. You might just find Jesus saying to you, depart from me. That's another talk. But let me just tell you this. I'm tired of pastors coming before plumbers, coming before construction workers, coming before people who work in customer service and saying, brothers and sisters, I just need to take this summer off. You need to tell that pastor and say, I'm going to take my whole life off from your church while you go take the summer off. I won't be back. I have some of my friends that are Pentecostal, full of the Holy Spirit, and now they go to Catholic retreat centers to get get refreshed. You're not getting getting refreshed. You're getting depleted by the spirits of a false religion. I don't need Father Tom and to meditate like the monks. I just need another touch of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he said don't get drunk off wine, but be filled and filled with the Holy Spirit. God will always fill an empty vessel. And I'm here, honestly, I'm here, honestly. I've been to cemetery, I mean seminary. I've had to do the work. Listen to me. I love pastors. I want them to be refreshed, but they're going about it the wrong way. I have one of my friends. He used to do ministry here. He actually coined the phrase Chicago for Jesus. It came through him as a youth pastor to my wife. He then went to California to do ministry and quit and come back here and do real estate. And my wife picked up that name and through the church ministry, we've been doing it ever since. That's okay. You sell real estate. I'm going to do the gospel. Amen. And then on the side, I'll sell real estate and beat you at that. I'll beat you at both in the name of Jesus. But listen, I know they get burned out because I talk to them all the time and I like them and they're my friends and I try to be nice to them. But my wife says, keep writing them and tell them to come on the streets because I'm telling you the Bible is so true when it says he who refreshes others will be refreshed. I find such a peace of God in the midst of the turmoil even while we're preaching today. It fires me up. And if you have a pastor today that's struggling with that, tell them to give me a call. I'll give them just what they need, the truth. Amen? Let's go to the next point quickly. The Bible says the kingdom of God will take over the earth. And so this is where we can go back to the idea of what's going on in our streets right now. All of the looting and all of the ideas of Marxism that are being hoisted upon us. My friends, that's not the answer. The utopia of Marxism is not the answer. I do believe that conservatism and the things that we're trying to do as Christians in politics right now, and I can name all the names that we're trying to support, I think are better answers, but how many know that is not the answer? These are just temporary band-aids as we're waiting for Jesus to come back. So we shouldn't become so attached to a political party because within one moment they could be exposed as doing things underground. Some of y'all already believe all of these Illuminati things and think they're already all involved. Are you listening to me? Some of y'all watch too much Alex Jones, you know? And and what, what we can do is be so distracted by these things that we forget that, yes, we're supposed to have influence, we're supposed to have our voice in, in these places, but we have to always remind them that our king is Jesus and our kingdom is of God. And I do believe that when America has done that best, we have been the most blessed. When the American leadership has turned to God the best, America has been the most blessed. Amen? But I love Revelation eleven fifteen. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there was a loud voice in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. How many are excited and waiting for that day? 
You know, if you've ever been around sports, it's a peculiar thing, especially around the championship games, that you could be sitting next to the person that's rooting for the opposite team. You know, normally they don't play in their own home stadium. You know what I'm talking about. The Super Bowl might be in New Orleans, and it might be two teams that are obviously not from New Orleans. And if you were there and could afford that ticket, you might be sitting there next to the opposing team. And and every time your team makes a touchdown, you go, you jump out of your seat and you go, oh yeah. And then they put their head down and go, oh no, oh no. I feel like that's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. All the people of the world are going to be going, oh no, oh no, he's back. And we're going to be shouting, oh yes, he's back. He's back. Hallelujah. Woo. Lovable losers. Are you listening to me? Repent and switch teams. Come to Jesus Christ. There will be no pity that day. Repentance and forgiveness has an expiration date, and that is either when you die or when Christ comes back. The kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our God. When they're shouting, oh, no, I'm going to be shouting, oh, yes. Oh, yes, Oprah. Oh, yes, Bill Gates. Here's my Jesus. Talk to him in the name of Jesus. And today I want to leave you with this final point before I make the application, and my application will not be that long. But the Bible says that as it initiated with Jesus, came through the cross of Jesus, and then began to come by the power of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, and we're seeing the kingdom of God expand and expand. The Bible says that one day it comes as Christ conquers the earth, Armageddon, we we see his visible appearing. The Bible then says we rule and reign with him. uh, Revelation 1, 4 through 8, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. How many know when it starts like that, it's good? And from the seven spirits before his throne, that's the seven manifestations of the one spirit of God because you're going to see the Trinity. The one him at the beginning is the Father. Then we see the seven spirits representing the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, our God is the Father, Son, the Spirit. Isn't it great to see the triune God there? Who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth? If a Jehovah witness ever says he's the firstborn, that means he was created. Remind them what that term means. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's not the first of God's creation. He is God, and all things were made from him and through him. But he's not the father. He's always been with the father. Are you listening to some good doctrine here? So the Bible then says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Look at what he does for us. He doesn't just take us to his kingdom and keep us as his subjects just to do all the work around the place. He makes us to be a kingdom and priests to serve him and the Father, to serve God the Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. So are we still serving God? Yes, but we serve him as kings and priests. And so here we see at the very end, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, uh, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Can I hear an amen if you're waiting for that day? And I just want to say this before I give the application here now about the kingdom in my parting words. This was the introduction. Please be patient with me. Normally my message is a little bit shorter than my introduction. I won't keep you too much longer, but please just hear this. Scroll back up to the previous verses like five and six there. 
When the Bible says that he makes us to be a kingdom and to be priests, you have to think about this from the Father's perspective. When my wife and I wanted to have children, we did not think to ourselves, oh, I'm going to have children so that they can wash our dishes. I'm I'm going to have children so that they can cut and mow the grass. I'm going to have children so they can wash the car. No, we say we're going to have children so that we can have a relationship with them. And in that relationship, they may serve the purpose that I'm about. They may serve and make the house a great place to live. They may help keep the dishes clean, but that is a byproduct of the initial reason why I did it. But now listen, if they have a bad attitude, cutting the grass is bad. You know, they're going to complain. If they have a bad attitude, cleaning the dishes is going to be bad. Have you ever had a bad teenager, parents? Or have some of y'all ever been a bad teenager? I know I was. But listen to me. If they have the right idea, they'll have a pep in their step. They'll be like, man, I get to cut the grass because this is the yard I get to play with my dad in. I get to wash the dishes because these are the plates I get to eat the food that my parents provide. Are you listening to me? And if you see your place in the kingdom of God is first his child that then serves the father, you will then understand that every work you've ever done has come from the joy of what he's done for you. It's not that I have to go witnessing. I get to go witnessing to tell people about Jesus. I don't have to read the Bible. I want to read the Bible and hear about him. I don't have to sing songs and clap in church. I just get so happy I get the privilege to do it. Hallelujah. I don't have to get into my prayer closet today, but I want to get there and serve him and love him and intercede for the nations because we see ourselves first as sons and daughters that then have the role as being kings and priests in his kingdom. What a beautiful thing to be in the Father's business. The applications are not there, but I want to give them to you in closing today. Vinny, would you come, please? The kingdom of God, number one, I think for this generation, has to be what we seek first and put above everything else. I think it's time that we once again prioritize the things of the kingdom. We started off, and I say we as a people group, especially the spirit-filled folks, we started off seeking God's kingdom. And if that meant we rolled on the floor of the barns the churches were held in, then we would be willing to do it. But then we got blessed, and then we got a nice building. And not only do we not roll on the floors, we don't even kneel on the floors. Are you tracking with me? And our blessings in many ways became a curse, just like the people of Israel who forgot about how they had to see miracles to even get to the promised land, let alone to inherit the promised land. And then they begin to look at their own hands and say, I made this. And God told them at the very beginning, he says, I have given you the power to gain wealth. It's so that I may establish my covenant with you. And so just in closing, these applications that I just want to speak with a pastoral heart would be, number one, always seek God's kingdom for God first. Not his hand, but his face. To seek him because it's an honor to do so. And never forget it. About two years ago, our church was starting to break free from month-to-month budget, and we were able to start saving up a ton of money. And I felt the Lord say, is this all that you want? Because I can park it right here. And if you want to take it the rest of the way in the flesh, you can do that. But you let me know. And I want to be honest with you, that was a talk I had to have with the Lord because when the Bible talks about giving him everything you got, when I first started the church, I didn't have a lot, so that that was easy. Jesus, I'll give you my $50. 
I'll give you my fiance and uh, kind of my lame apartment. That's all yours, Jesus. But about 20 years later, got a wife, got kids, got all these toys and hobbies and friends to impress. And God's like, I still want all. So I said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. He said, get a gospel truck. I said, like the one I used to have when I was a young man before I had a church to preach in front of people? Yeah, go back to those days. And so when you see that gospel truck out there, I don't mean to say this in a selfish way because it will empower others, but I will cry right now telling you that is Jesus keeping a pastor where he's supposed to be. Oh, man. That's keeping a pastor where he's supposed to be. And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it's going to look like. But you got to be sensitive to keep seeking the Lord first. He's going to put those things in your hearts. And he's going to say, this, this is what first means now. This is what all means now. Some of you, you, you came from the bottom, now you're here. you right here, amen? You started from the bottom, now you're here. You're a deacon, you know, and you're working on your job, and they've given you favor and all of this. And, and the Lord's saying, yeah, you like how I gave you six figures? And you're like, yes, Lord, I like it because I get to drive my Lexus now. I get to live in this neighborhood now. And God may be saying to you, now I want you to give 60 of it and keep living off 40. I mean, honestly, would we be willing to do that? I have a missionary here that's done that multiple times, not based on her income, but as a missionary, whatever she's raised at different times, the Lord has told her to leave it in that nation and move with a suitcase somewhere else. And I know it's like, bless the Lord for that missionary. Keep doing that, sister. But how do we not know we're not, how do we not know we're next? That God's not saying it to us, like, where, where do we get to say, well, that's not for me? I think that too often we say we're seeking the kingdom of God first as long as all of these other things are in place, but we don't get to make that deal with God. We don't get to say to God, well, I'll seek you first just as long as the bills are paid, my kids keep getting to be in all the sports and clubs that they want to be in. No, God is saying, seek me first and then trust me if they even go to clubs. I had to talk to God about that because, you know, my parents had me as, as they both came out of divorces and I was their only child. And I got to do everything. And, and I looked at our budget in, as a pastor with six kids, and I began to look, look at my wife, and I said, I only think our kids can maybe do one sport at a certain age, just if, if that's even what we can afford. And I started to feel bad about that, that I couldn't start my kids in t-ball at five and gymnastics at five. You, you know what I'm saying? And I felt the Lord tell me, I have a 100 parents that do that, Joe, but I want to know, will you be the one parent? or a few of the parents that put my kingdom first into your children. Because you're not here to raise up baseball stars. You're not here to worry about just scholarships. You're here to raise up people of integrity, children that know the kingdom of God. And one day I was looking out my backyard and I saw my children playing and God said to me, that's the closest to heaven they'll ever get, Joe. They have the love of a father. They get to experience their mother. They know that I'm always there with them. This is heaven on earth for them. Well done. So I want to tell you today, in a world where kids can go to college and lose their souls, put God first. And if college is a part of the plan, let him do it. Don't sacrifice their calling. Do not sacrifice their calling for it. 
Because as I said before, we got so sophisticated, we've talked ourselves out of Christianity, and we've just freely given our children back to the world where our ancestors, they didn't even think about those things. They were just okay if their children lived for God and still worked on the farm and took care of their family. We've got to go back to that kind of humility. Whatever it takes, Jesus, you're coming first. Number two, we have to tell the world about the kingdom in ways they can understand. We have to do it in ways they can understand. That is why I love Bevy and Edme so much because what everybody seems to be on right now is politics. And I can just be honest with you, I don't care about it as much as probably I should. It's just not my thing. And if we were to be honest, a lot of you would probably say, I would like to talk about anything other than that. You know, just anything other than that, I'm tired of seeing the ads. I don't like thinking about it. Even though I'm voting for Trump, I don't think he's the greatest man that's ever walked on the earth. You know what I'm saying? But but we get into this place where we now feel like what they're on, we have to stay away from and just show them we love them by our smile. No, what we need to do is bring the, the hammer of the kingdom of God right to their worldview and destroy it. And if destroying Joe Biden is a part of the kingdom of God, then so be it. Somebody got to do it. We'll do it. And if tearing down the ideals of the Democratic Party, I mean the Democratic Party, is a part of it, or if it's part of, I got that from her, and if it's part of us exposing all of these things, then we're going to do it. But we're doing it because they're so obsessed with it. If they weren't so obsessed with it, we should still be a part of it. But obviously, why make it our full-time job? Most of us have other full-time jobs. But we need to do it now because that's what they're obsessed with. Lest, everybody listen to me, lest while we're thinking the kingdom of God is book sales and making friends and influencing people, they will take over the government. They will take over the city council if they haven't already in so many places. And so I know for some of you, you don't want to mix, mix church and politics. You just want to tell them first about Jesus, even though you know they all know that other stuff. I want to tell you what I learned from a Muslim apologist named David Wood and Acts 17 apologetics. Come on. Get on them. And by the way, we've been preaching with them too. I'm friends with them. I wouldn't say like I'm good friends, but I am friends. I'm better friends with you, by the way. This is what David Wood talks about when he talked about winning his Islamic friend to Jesus. He said, when we would talk about Islam versus Christianity, I could win almost every single argument. And my Muslim friend, he would say back to me, he would say, I am 90% convinced that you're right. But I'm 100% convinced I'm right. So it's not enough to sway me. What that means is when you're only doing defensive apologetics, it's not going to take the people over the line. You then have to go to their 100% of confidence and start knocking it down, knocking it down, destroying the arguments and every high and lofty thing until it comes down to where it's 10%, 20% and crisis up here. And I'm telling you, it is a trick of the enemy. You can study it from Cuba to Venezuela to China to Iran to all of these revolutions. The people become obsessed with it. And if you just keep talking, Jesus, 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 they'll say, well, okay, I'm almost convinced of that, but I'm 100% convinced we need Black Lives Matter and keep looting. No, we need to preach Jesus and destroy the Black Lives Matter movement, the Marxist ideology, the Democratic Party, and say, then we'll work it out. 
Because then are we Republican, independent, libertarian? Well, then we'll work it out between Ron Swanson and Abraham Lincoln and then, you know, you know, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan. We'll work it out. But at right now, we've got to make the kingdom where they're at. And it's uncomfortable. It is because the moment you go there, you're labeled as them. Oh, you're one of them. But you have to know Jesus matters and the kingdom of God matters. That's why we have to do this. Because if it doesn't matter to us to confront these movements, not only will they control the government, they will take away our rights. And so, friends, take a lesson from the other nations that just talked about sweet Jesus while they lost their nation to communism. Learn a lesson that we have to do both. Amen. And then lastly, just to encourage everybody here, grow and increase in the kingdom. If there are not at least five characters, uh, characteristics of you that have changed over the last five years, you're doing Christianity in the kingdom wrong. Every single one of you, I should be able to ask you right now, what are five things in your life that God's been changing over the last five years? You, you should just be able to rattle them off. My attitude, how I get along with others, how I think about money, you know, what I do with my free time. No one has arrived. We, we can't just say, well, I'm in the kingdom, and God just loves me the way I am, and I go to church and shout when the preacher starts shouting, so I'm good. No, you have to look at the kingdom as what God is doing in you and through you. And so just to tell you some personal stories about myself, you know, when I was first starting this church, I thought if all I did was preach like this, then I would be a great pastor. But God began to show me that I had to disciple. And this is why a lot of pastors don't want to do it. That's what my doctorate is in, by the way, is in discipleship and so forth. And I've studied all the surveys. And the reason why so few pastors actually want to do it, because a lot of you have talked to me saying, Pastor, I'm glad you talked to us. I'm glad you disciple these people. I'm glad you do all this. My pastor, not so much. You want to know why? Because it hurts. It takes time. It's messy. Where right now we could do 45 minutes, buy the book, buy the tape, whatever, and we're done. But you have to grow. And so the Lord told me, put down the mic. You know, it was only about a dozen of us. And go disciple Todd. Go disciple Daniel. And then I would realize how little they learned from the message. Or remember, not these personally, but you get the point. And then I would have to hear them complain about this, complain about that. And it would almost like suck all the life of the sermon out. I would just be like, man, what did I even preach to you for? But the Lord began to show me that's what ministry is. And so instead of becoming depressed, instead of becoming oppressed by it, I began to seek first the kingdom, get the answers from the scriptures, and start seeing how Jesus spent three years with people and going through the dirt and the mud and the, the messiness of their life to see them become the greatest leaders that the world would ever know. And so that, that's just in me personally. So I'm, I'm confessing as a pastor what that looks like. But what does that look like for you? Maybe that looks like for you coming to the life group and stop making the excuse of your job and you're busy because at the life group, you're going to start participating and doing things other than just being in church. Maybe that's you going back to your church and starting the abortion mill ministry. And now instead of just coming to a conference, doing it once or twice a year, saying, well, I'm glad I did that. The idea is you have to be growing not only internally, but externally. I should be able to ask you, what are five things God's working on in your heart? What are five things that you're doing that you've never done before or that you're doing at new levels? 
God is always in the kingdom challenging us. What did he say? The kingdom of God is like someone who sows seed, you know, and then the one that you want to be is the good ground, right? And then what does it do? 30, 60, 100 fold. You should always be multiplying. He says the kingdom of God is like someone who goes on a journey and he distributes these bags of gold. How many want friends like that that give you bags of gold when you when they go on vacation? And they give them bags, he gives them bags of gold, and they're judged by how they multiply. And so for my heart to yours, number one, put God first above everything else. No excuses. Put God first. Don't let this world take away your kingdom priority. Always remember that you're going to have to keep growing in this, that we don't know it all. Number two, bring the kingdom where they're at. If it's politics right now, the whole world is obsessed with it, don't be like the ninny churches that are like, we're just not going to talk about it. We're going to do a, a, a sermon series on relationships. I can't even believe that some of my friends are literally doing sermon series on relationships. It's almost like they sat down at the table and said, what is the complete opposite thing we can talk about right now in this church? Let's talk about relationships. So okay. Like, let's just totally avoid the whole conversation. No, we need to be in it. And then, like I said, number three, we have to be growing. You should be able to come back and see me, my family, and see growth. I should be able to come back and see you and see growth because the kingdom is expanding. Amen. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? If you believe in the kingdom of God, altar workers and band, would you come, please? I know that wasn't a shouting end, but we're shouting for Jesus. Amen. How many know Jesus is good? I just had to get pastoral. I just had to go there. Can we pray and apply the message? Lord, search our hearts.